Welcome to the Revolution Podcast. Hey, this is Matt at Revolution Church. Welcome to the Revolution Conversation Podcast. This is Matt and Ryan and Justin and Dave. We welcome you all, interneters, to this conversation, and tonight we're kind of having a free-flowing discussion. Um, In other words, we planned out the first podcast, and the second podcast, we just decided to wing it right after the first podcast. That's essentially what we're doing, and we're once again in Ryan Roth's basement in Prison Town, USA. Home of the Lion Skin Road. (laughs) And if you listen to the first podcast where we talked about winging it, we didn't learn the lesson we said we should have learned. We did not. All right. So if you're completely bored by the first podcast, well, who knows? This one may be a little different. This will be so anyway. Awkward, yeah. <laughs> uh, the first podcast we discussed church planning and we discussed which one is better, the Avengers or the Dark Knight Rises. This time we're going to do essentially how I've named my blog. We're going to talk about theology. We're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about sports. We're going to talk about pop culture. We're going to talk about whatever comes up, essentially. That's where we're at. And that's essentially what Revolution Church is about. Uh, Every weekend down on Chillicothe Street at 5.55 p.m., you can come down and check it out. We are a group that basically hits everything. Nothing is off limits. So here we go. Um, let me throw the first kind of topic out there, which is this. Right now, as we sit here in the basement, the Cincinnati Reds have the best, the Woo-hoo! best record in baseball as we sit here on August 2nd, 2012. Take that, Brian Kenny, who wanted to diss the Reds on the radio today. <laughs> but... The problem is, of course, that the Reds pitching the last couple games against San Diego has not been up to par, and uh, their only 300 hitter has been on the DL. So the question is, can the Reds carry it home? And this may only be of interest to people in southern Ohio and northern Kentucky, or, well, frankly, Reds haters who will be delighted to see us be wrong here in the next month, but... Can the Reds take it? I'm going to shift this over to Justin Clark, who is has been a coach for um, the Wheelersburg High School baseball team, which won the state championship to this team this year. Can the Reds take it home in their present state over the Nationals? Can they win the pennant? Well, fortunately, what the Reds have working in their favor is they have the the actually they have the easiest schedule in all of baseball in August and September. And so they built themselves a considerable lead. Um, now I think they're, but the their short rays aren't great, and they have no. And, and their shortcomings well. are. are you're, you mentioned valid. Um, you make valid points about the shortcomings. The pitching staff, who just absolutely pitched, um, I think what everyone would agree, um, in baseball circles, above kind of where they were expected to be through the month of July, particularly. Yeah. Um, but I'm not convinced that the Reds need to get that type of pitching performance down the stretch to be successful. Um, they where they where they where they really are effective is in the bullpen. Um, they have the they, um, statistically they have the best bullpen in Major League Baseball. They have yeah. by far the lowest ERA and the highest strikeouts per nine innings. Um, Thank they, you, Chapman. 
They yeah, did. Um, they did just trade for Jonathan Broxton, who's a, who's a right-handed setup man on the bullpen, tipping um, over three hundred pounds. Boy, he's an Eminem short of three thirty. I'm yeah, sure. Is he that big? Oh, dude, is he no, like, let me tell you, there's not a big charge in the middle without a bat. Is he that big? Is he that big? Oh, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. He's, he's over like three hundred pounds. Six five or six four or three hundred. Um, he, he and I are about the same size. Wow. Yeah, and um, I, I was fortunate enough. The Reds were kind enough to have our, wow. our state championship baseball team um, down on Tuesday night, and, and Walt Jockety came wow. in and said a few things to our team. Um, actually shared with us a little bit about the trade he had just made a couple hours before for Jonathan Broxton, and they really think that. He's going to bolster their bullpen to where even if the starters continue, you know, their struggles become prolonged, um, <laughs> they now have guys like Nick Masters coming off the DL, Logan Andrusik, right. uh-huh. um, to throw those middle innings, the sixth and seventh inning. And they really feel that if they can get to the eighth inning with a lead, they now have two right. yeah, top flight closers, a righty yeah. and a lefty to play situations. Yeah, and, and, so, and Lord knows Kansas City didn't need a closer. Well, they weren't closing no, anything. We're not closing <laughs> the jack. That's, that's just business is downtown. But the thing that Reds go, the Reds have going for them is they don't have to get they don't have to get top flight pitch performance to get to the playoffs. Um, okay, that's and, a good point. and fortunately, um, Joey Votto's going to come back from DL, DL. Brandon Phillips isn't going to the DL. He's not going to play for a few days. Um, but the guys in their lineup who needed to step up offensively, Ryan Hannigan, Todd Ludwig, Frazier, yeah. Scott Rowland, Drew Stubbs, have, Studwick, yeah. Um, yeah. have all been absolutely incredible in the month of July. And even if they show some regression in their performance, I think that with Votto coming back, he's put up MVP-type numbers. Absolutely. Brandon Phillips coming back, he's really starting to, to reach his potential where he's been the last few years. Yeah. I think that offensively they can mask what pitching concerns they might have with offensive production from those guys in the bottom lineup and the bullpen to the playoffs. Now they're going to have to get solid pitching performances from somebody other than Johnny Cueto. Other than Johnny Cueto in the playoffs. Cueto's been the most consistent start in rotation. Latos has top flight stuff. Cueto has not been on top of his game the last couple of starts. He's got 14 wins. Yeah, Yeah. gave up his first home run in in 11 starts today. Gave up two first home run in 11 starts. Um, Homer Bradley's pitched pretty well this year, though. So, um, I think the key for the Reds is going to be identifying a second starter in the playoffs. If Latos can pitch to his potential, um, okay. and Cueto pitches where he's been pitching, I think the Reds are as tough an out as anybody in the National League, with the exception maybe of the Dodgers. And, and I'm not going to get into all this. They made a bunch of nice trades at the deadline. They did. Um, so, but now, let me get your feeling, though. We have no leadoff hitter. I mean, there's no one on base when Bottoms is up the bat. No one. How do we remedy that? And yet, they have the best record in baseball. They have the best record in baseball. Because they played a home Despite run the fact that park. Drew Stubbs is hitting what? Yeah, but they pitch in a home run friendly park. Very so they true. hit there and they pitch there every day. Very true. And so those two things should balance each other out. Yes. Drew Stubbs is playing better. Here's the deal with Drew Stubbs. It's called a batting average for a reason. He's going to hit 280 this year. You think? Absolutely. Okay. He may hit... He may hit 220 for part of the year and 340 for part of the year, but his career average is close to 280. Okay. So how does batting average compare to strikeouts? What's the, I, should we be concerned about Drew that? Drew Stubbs is not the prototypical leadoff hitter. R- really? I, he's I, not. You don't I, I like yeah, yeah. And Zach, you know, yeah. Cozart is not either. The Reds have to do things differently offensively. But with the emergence of Todd Frazier, Ryan Hannigan, yeah. Scott Rowland coming back into what he's yeah. typically done, yeah. I think yeah. the Reds can survive even batting a guy like Brandon Phillips or Zach Cozart or Drew Stubbs at the top. Um, who they're they're kind of high risk, high reward guys yeah. at that point in part of yeah. the lineup. There are enough guys in the lineup that can hit the ball and put it in play. These are not the Reds of a few years ago where we really struggled offensively outside of Joey Votto and Jay Bruce. 
I mean, I really think that there are enough guys who are okay. playing at a higher level right now if they can sustain that through September. They're going to they, be a tough out in the playoffs. They do seem to find a way every time. And, and that reminds me of, because I'm the only one old enough here to remember the 90. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, no. Todd Benzinger, foul ball, catching and, first baseline. Okay, all right. But I'm the only one to remember that entire season because it was 22 years ago and I'm 40 years old. And so I, I was in California. Listen, I have watched the happened. Sports Illustrated VHS Wired Wire, to wire okay, 317 times. I watched times. it live, <laughs> taunted by California A's fans when I was living in Southern California with my with my Reds cap on. Now, um, what what reminds me of that '90 Reds team is they find a way to win. Absolutely. Because if you look back at that '90 Reds team, you had Larkin, but other than that. You did not have a consistent hitter. You did not have a consistent pitcher. I mean, go back and look. And Jose they lost Rio. Their before, before and the absolutely, started. Jose Rio was the, the top, and he started off as, as the a Columbia middle reliever. Jose yeah, Rio. Jose Rio started off as a middle reliever Analogy. at the beginning of that season, and he won 14 games, and that was the best starter they had because Charlton was in the, the, the bullpen. Jack Armstrong went down, even though he was the best pitcher. He went down halfway through the season. Danny Jackson went down halfway through the season. Um, their best pitchers went down halfway through the season. You had Tom Browning, who in most years was a four or five on the starting rotation. And you had Jose Rio step up and you had to push Norm Charlton into the leading role. And then you had a guy named Scott Scudder, who was never that good and in, 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 in clutch you know, position was terrible. And so you had him. You basically had a three-man rotation. Okay. And yet, and the leadoff hitter was Billy Hatcher, who was overweight then. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. And yet. And true. He, but it was true, was it not? <laughs> Eric Davis was out 60 games of the year. And yet, they found a way to beat the Pirates, who at that time was the favorite to win everything because they had Bonds, Bonilla, and Doug Drayback, and Andy Van Slyke. And yet, they beat the Pirates four games to one, and then they go on to beat the A's, who were considered untouchable, and they swept them, despite the fact that they did not have a single person in any statistical lead Right, as far as home runs, RBI, stolen bases, any of that You just stuff. made my point on why this year's Reds team has a chance to win the World Series. I would make the argument that Joey Votto is a more complete offensive player than Barry Larkin. I agree with that. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And, and that Johnny Cueto has a higher ceiling than Jose Rijo. I agree with that yeah. as well. And that this year's bullpen is comparable to the 1990 Cincinnati Reds. The nasty Bronson. boys. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. With, with, yeah. with Brock Chapman, Chapman yeah. Andrusik, Massett coming yeah. off the DL. Yeah. Bill Br- I mean, they, they have a full complement of right, right-handed and left-handed relievers. And someone like Jay Bruce, who's a high risk, high reward guy at the plate, absolutely comparable Always to Eric, swinging comparable the, to yeah, Eric Davis, yeah. yeah. And those and Reds true. capitalized Absolute. on great pitching, yeah. on the start, front and back end of the rotation, yeah. timely offensive play, and a big home run Barry Davis. The, the first inning with to, this Reds, now, the, so I'm they're not ha- timely. But they can. But I'm just yeah. ha- with runners and scoring. They have the pieces That's true. to yeah. make a run in September. It, they're in as good or better position they've been in or since 1990. So the question is... Now, do I think they're built to win the World Series? Yeah. No. What they have to play at a higher level. That's the question. Is they, are they the 90 or the 99 Reds in the sense that when they get to the pennant game, will they take out the Pirates or, like the 99 Reds, which were a very good team, um, ended up folding 
like will this Reds team end up folding to the Washington Nationals, which as much as I hate them, especially because I hate every new team, um, and, 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 I, and I, I absolutely... Is that a matter of principle or what? Yes, I hate every... For the record, every team. argument ever made on principle was a bad one. Uh, well, it's the way it is. Okay, okay, fine. But I hate the Washington Nationals. I will just state that. And um, I, I'm sorry, Bryce Harper is a mediocre rookie phenom at best. Sure. Over the la- if you compare like rookie sensations over the last thirty years, Mike Trout. But can they beat better. the Nationals in a seven-game series? Which, the, Nationals the, the, the Nationals have the same offense. The Nationals have the same offense. They have the same offense. He's gone. He's gone by the playoffs. Well, oh, yeah, they're setting it down. They said that today. At the, 160. The yeah, Nationals have the same yeah. have similar offensive polls as the Reds. Yeah. Okay. And so so not so the Nationals don't scare me as not as much as the Dodgers. Really? The Dodgers are actually a team that have a much higher offensive ceiling than the Nationals or the Reds. But they're gonna play together. That's but that's baseball. Okay, too. but uh, but if you're if looking at matchups, together, if you're okay. looking at matchups in a seven game series, yeah. the Reds and the Nationals have the, the statistically the two best pitching staffs in the National League. They have the two lowest ERAs, the two highest strikeout to walk ratio. Right. Um, I, I think point. both yeah, of those teams point. are going to present similar styles for one another, and in most situations, in a, in a, in a ten game playoff, they probably both okay. win five or six and four. And it's the left coast. Yeah. And now the Dodgers, on the other hand, present matchup problems. They're an offensively skilled. Offensively superior team um, with top top yeah. front end starting True. pitching, um, and, and so they could roll out. They could they could roll two starters out there that could each win two games, and the series is over. And they have the offensive firepower okay. to back it up. So I would so be it could more be like the Reds in 2010, where yeah. they just got. I would be more afraid of the Dodgers yeah. okay. than I would of the Nationals if okay. I had to play them in a seven game series. Because right. I feel like and and the Reds and Nationals present similar matchups to each other. So it's more you have better insight than I do, so that's 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 a good point. I, I, I agree. All right. Let's say though, okay, that the Reds somehow get past sure. the Dodgers or the Nationals. Either one. Mm-hmm. And I agree both of them are, are, are a threat, especially the mm-hmm. Dodgers, because I'm a matchup point. Then they face the Yankees in the World Series. The Yankees. What Derek do you think? Peter. What do you think? Uh, who they got past CC? No, that's a fair question. Who they got yeah. past CC? That's a, that's a fair question. Because is anybody in the American League playing better than the Yankees consistently? I know the Rangers are great, but do they have the pitching anywhere near the Yankees? I, don't I think, think the so. I think I the mean, Angels have the pitching to beat yeah. the Yankees. In the yeah, yeah. Okay. they just picked right, up the Angels have the pitching. Today. That's yeah. true. Yeah, but so. as a team, as of nine players sure. you put on the field, is anybody better in the American League than the Yankees? Yeah, I'd say the Angels. Will, I think the Angels will make it before the Yankees. Mm, I don't know. They got, oh man, they got the, three stuff. I, I don't know. They we'll got have to Trout, wait to Trumbo, and Pujols. No, they're telling the Pujols has not, has not. He, yeah, yeah but he's back. He's back. He, he's had two multi homer games in a row. Let's see. Well, and I he's mean, protecting that. Right at, at that point, I mean, you have to anticipate that the Reds have gotten quality starting pitching. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and I think that pitching depth would be a huge key for the Reds in, in a series against the Yankees, who have yeah. less pitching depth than the Reds. You know, again, what we're talking about kind of... Yeah, and that's a good point. And in I mean, 1990, when the A's and the Reds met, the Dave entire, Stewart. exactly, everybody talked about Dave Stewart and how they were going to dominate the Reds, and everybody overlooked well, and, the and, bullpen of the Reds and coming in at... And baseball is a point. sport where being the underdog probably plays into your hand as much as any other professional sport yeah. because there's there's so much more nuance in the game of baseball. And a pitcher can really control the tempo of a game and sometimes a sure. series. And so 
1990, the Reds were able to. Eric Davis had a, had a home run in the in the bottom of the first inning. He did. Series was over. Jose Rio came out 130 a pounds. He basically hit. Jose Rio came out through 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 a gem of a ball no, game in Game did. One, and, and the momentum had shifted in that series. And baseball is a funny game like that, where a team who's yeah. less talented in one phase of the game or another can really steal momentum. And so I think the Reds would rely on Suck a solid perfi- a pitching performance from Johnny Cueto or a solid offensive performance from Joey Votto to but get them started. Today, I mean, if and, and it, I, I'm going to argue in favor of what you're saying is that. You know, in 1990, when Rio or Browning or Charleston, you know, any of those guys got tired, Rob Dibble would come in, in throwing 98-mile-per-hour May sliders. throw a strike or may throw at your head. Exactly. You never knew. In baseball, we call that effectively they wild. They were frightened. Exactly. I, I work for a That's former what Chapman Chicago, needs to be. I work for a, a former Chicago Cub who quotes Mark Grace, right? One of the greatest first basemen of the last 30 years, right? Grace... Face Rob Dibble, struck out on three pitches, walked into the bullpen and said, it, that's just not fair, mm-hmm. right? Because the guy was throwing 98-mile-per-hour sliders, <laughs> right? And so, and, and Grace just couldn't touch him. And Grace was hitting 330 that year, right? So, you know, this year, I mean, a Chapman, when he's on his game, definitely is unhittable. Absolutely unhittable. Um, so I, I agree with all that. So you may be right. I, I think that the Reds have as good a shot at the World Series as any team. I'm just such in love. I'm so in love with the Reds that I, I have this kind of hesitation. Do you know what I mean? To think sure. that they could blow it. Well, but, here's what. Well, and and ultimately you're absolutely right. They could blow it, but you have to understand what's your what is reality for a small market baseball team. And the Reds are fortunate to have a player of Joey Votto's caliber, Brandon Phillips' caliber, right. who can consistently produce offensively. Yeah. And any hope they have to win a World Series as a small market baseball team is going to be bolstered on some level of the cards falling in your favor. Okay. You, know, you, you got to get a great pitching Always. performance. You got to get a great offensive series out of somebody you don't expect it right. from. They're not going to be able to go out and spend $140 million a year like the Yankees and, right. and buy a giant, or the Angels who do this now. I mean, the Angels right. are worse than the Red Sox now. I mean, and, and the, Phillies. the Phillies. Have, the Phillies. The Phillies have four $20 million yeah. a year guys in their lineup, and right. three of them are pitchers, and one of them's only won two games all year. Cliff Lee. Lord, that is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Um, who has put on waivers if anybody wants to take it? Yeah. yeah. So I, I just think that as a Reds fan, you have to understand what is reality for you and for me and for Ryan and for Dave. Or for any small market. Sure, fan, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and the reality Pittsburgh. is that absolutely the Reds that. have con- have done as good a job, and I'm trying to be objective here, constructing a small to medium market baseball team as anybody in the country. I and agree. I would have said at the beginning of the year that they overpaid for Joey Votto, who's Canadian. Um, exactly. The only Canadian. America, let me just say, Canada, America's hat. Go ahead. <laughs> Absolutely, um, but they've they've Thank been able to maximize good. pitching potential yes. in the starting on the front of the back ends of the rotation, and they've been able to get production from guys lined up such as like Todd Frazier and Ryan Hannigan. They have that nobody Absolutely. expected. And if Drew Stubbs yeah. ever becomes the player they think he's going to be, the Reds are they're relatively young, they're well yeah. positioned, their stars are under contract yeah, for multiple years, yeah. offensively and on the pitching side. Yeah. I just think they've given Reds fans as much hope as we could reasonably expect them to okay, give. Okay, now. Let me raise the question that was raised on Grantland this week. Plug for the Grantland Network. If you don't know what it is, just go look it up. Uh, yeah. You'll shame say, on you. And say thank you. Yeah, shame yeah. on you. You need to check it out every day. I do. So, Grantland raised the question this week. Are the Reds succeeding because of Dusty Baker? 
No. Or in spite of Dusty Baker. Let me tell you an interesting Dusty Baker story. Okay. okay. Any any longtime Reds fans familiar with the, the tumultuous career of Homer Bailey? Yes. Who has been who's been pitching far above what we've come to expect from Homer? Yes. Even though as as a the young worst twenty nickname of any pitcher, yeah, ever. ever. <laughs> Don't ever name your son Homer if you want um, to be a pitcher. Well, that's not his name. That's his nickname. Who Homer, gave him that nickname? For those of you who remember, Homer has had a, a um, particularly erratic career yes. as a young as a young pitcher who was highly thought of the and had, savior of the franchise, and um, who, who clearly has. Oh. Um, in baseball terminology, great stuff as a yes, pitcher. Multiple absolutely. plus pitches. Yes. Um, but never been able to mentally put it together. Gives full credit to his resurgence here to the library of Dusty Baker. Wow. And Dusty Baker is actually an avid reader. Yeah. Homer Bailey is an avid reader. And they now exchange roughly five to six books a month. Wow. And discuss all kinds of topics from philosophy and psychology to world history. Breaks based on Why did that take like four and a half to five years? Well, you understand. <laughs> Dusty was a player. Yeah, he's a player's manager. Yes, he's been um, he's been accused of being loyal to the veteran to that. a fault. Scott rolling over Todd Frazier. No, but I, I <laughs> I'm just saying that that's the criticism, right? But he's played Zach Cozart all the time this year. He has no choice because he hates Paul Yonish. You got. <laughs> You have Billy Hamlet through the minors who's stolen 124 bases in like yes. 70 games. True. Who's a shortstop? So I mean, true. He, That's not still not his choice. Not That's his right, so, choice. That's not his choice. I think. But, I think. Here's the Grantland argument. Here's the Grantland argument. Make your argument. argument. I have a better okay. one. The Grantland argument is that you have Ryan Ludwig who is on fire, and yet should every, be batting fourth. Exactly. Every other night he's on the bench. Now explain that. He should. Why is now, he in the, I, I the, agree, the Because Bill Simmons is as confused as anybody else. Bill Simmons writes, "I do not understand how it is that you know Dusty Baker has success everywhere he goes, but at the same time he does things that look patently stupid." Do you have confidence in Chris Heisey playing center field? Yes. Do you absolutely? Honestly, yes. Absolutely. You're Defensively? The, yes. Yeah. I think y'all are in the minority. Really? I think Chris, I, Chris Heisey yes, is an but, average at best but, 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 but. Here's Here's why okay. Ryan Ludwig doesn't play every day. Okay. Because we have to be able to get more out of Chris Heisey. Because we don't. Because up until two weeks ago, Drew Stubbs was erratic at best. Okay. Sure. And so, so Dusty is playing a okay. rotational game to try to get more out of Chris Heisey to keep him fresh in case Drew Stubbs. So you have confidence in Chris Heisey playing center it's field. It's a fair argument. Okay. It's fair argument. So you got to know that Chris Heisey can produce if Drew Stubbs can't. Here's the deal. Here's okay. the deal. All right. Without compromise, I, I don't the remember the exact numbers, but I know after May 25th, Ludwig is over 300, like 304 or something like that. Yeah. He has like 15. Oh, there's no denying that Ryan is Ludwig is on batting, a tear. Why is Roland batting fourth and Ludwig is not batting fourth? Because forth? Dusty's a player's manager, and he believes in the player's routine. And that's been their lineup for the whole year. And I'm just telling you, he's not going to change it. But I, he, he plays. He should be batting fourth. He play, but Set is the it, table for the dude. Exactly. They, I, they've I, gone nineteen and three in the last twenty-two games. I think what he's doing is working. But it could I, be, I can't but argue with that. I can't better. argue with that. Okay, I can't argue with that. And, and and at the same time, it defies logic. But they could have been because I mean, you look. I mean, you look at what Ludwig did today. But and it, it, it's just it, absolutely amazing. And you're like, it, you can't blame Bill Simmons for going. Why isn't that guy? So do you think Ryan Ludwig's upset about batting fifth or sixth? Well, no, but would but would Roland be upset if they said this dude's on fire? But is it working? Baseball it people are weird. But you're playing nobody. Who played little league baseball? Raise your hand. Me. Y'all can't see the podcast. Everybody's hands are up. Who stepped on the line when they ran on the field? Nobody. 
Okay? Baseball guys are weird. We're superstitious. I guarantee you that when the Wheelersburg Pirates make the state tournament next year, we take the same bus driver and stay in the same hotel and eat the same restaurants. It's true. So I'm just I telling don't, you, all right, I, I, I don't I, disagree. It's not. I can't make it. I can't make a compelling analytical argument for why it works. If you, if you, you, Justin Clark were the Reds manager, would you be batting? Who would you bat for, Roland or Ludwig? It wouldn't Roland. No, the dude is on freaking fire, and it's okay. Why don't you bat yeah, in fifth, I, I please? Can, regardless bat of what Dusty has done, what would you do? What would I do? Yeah. I would love to sit here and tell you that I would keep the lineup as it is. But I will tell you that... BP would be leading off for me. I would tell you that in... Um, yes, I agree. In the... Because have four games, I would tell you that four him. games before the state championship okay. this year, we decided to take our freshman left fielder who had batted no higher than seventh and make him the leadoff hitter. And he may or may not have gone 9 for 11 in the regional tournament with nice. 14 RBIs. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Sometimes I'm just talking. It's it's more art than science managing a baseball okay. team. Okay, that's a good point. And and, and more than any that's other sport, point. there's more and nuance I, I to will, it. I will now. The criticism of Dusty Baker has been he's had success everywhere, but he's never, ever, been the dominant manager. One word, Bartman. Bartman it, ruined it for him. But he was good with the Giants too. And it wasn't Bartman's fault. He was but, good with the Giants. <laughs> He was. He was good, good but I mean, how long has how long has he been doing this? So I, I let's can we transition? Yeah. Because a lot of people are getting tired of hearing about the Reds, and I think we've okay. established that the Reds are playing as a, at, at as high levels they can possibly play. Okay. Is there a better manager in baseball than Joe Madden? And who wouldn't be absolutely thrilled if Joe Madden was managing the baseball okay. team? That's a good point. Okay, give me Joe Madden. Next topic. Who wants to start it? That's a good point. I mean, and we could sit here all night long and talk about the fact that the Reds have had um, have had this ridiculous back and forth where. We have the Zach Cozarts, right? Yeah. Um, we have those guys at the same time. You know, in drafts, we have passed up Prince Fielder. We have passed, passed up Lance Berkman. We, 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 we drafted Parker Chad Matola instead of Derek yeah, Jeter. Yeah, I mean, again and again and <laughs> Just again. Just for the record. We have and in case you don't know who Chad Matola is, there's a Ken reason. Griffey Jr., right? We have passed up. How that happens, I don't know. But, it, but anyway, um, it, it, it has happened. Um, and I was spoiled because when I was a little kid, first getting into baseball, it was the Big Red Machine, right? So you got Johnny Bench and Tony Perez and Joe Morgan and Dave Concepcion and Pete Rose and, and, and George Foster and, and Cesar Geronimo and Ken Griffey. Was there a better baseball team that – would you take any better baseball team than that? Who would exactly. you replace? I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, there was a there was an article on, on, on Bleacher Press about – who was the best, you know, the all-time best Cincinnati Reds? And they had, like, Ted Klusinski at first base on this stuff. I was like, no, I would take the 75-76 Reds over anybody. Okay, that being said, all right, so, you know, and we can sit there, sit here and do Monday morning quarterback with Dusty Baker, but the simple fact is we've never been in the show and the guy has had success at every team he's ever been on, Right. True. And, and, and right now, he has got the Reds with the best record in baseball, despite the fact that his best hitter is on the DL. Two that's best it. hitters now are out. Yeah. yeah impressive. Very true. Impressive. Very true. And that's got to be impressive. Okay. Yeah. So let's go, beyond, let's go beyond best baseball and, and talk I'll about busty. a little bit of theology, which is yes. let, let's talk about this for a second and see if you can you have any response to this at all. 
if I get any, you know, kind of objection to our theology, which is, you know, when we started, I would say that I was the one Calvinist on the team. And, and since then, not thanks to me, right, but thanks tools. to, yeah, exactly, thanks, thanks largely to Tim Keller and Matt Chandler over the last five years. Uh, and or scripture. <laughs> yeah, and or scripture. Soul and scripture kind of helped us out a little bit. <laughs> that, that, that you guys have become a little more, you know, more Calvinist Slightly. Than, than, than we were. Um, the, the objection that, I mean, Dave had this objection today because Dave was meeting with a couple people a day. And which is this, you know, okay, if God is in total control, why doesn't God just, you know, pick everybody? Why doesn't God choose Easy. everyone? But, the, but okay, I just had this conversation with uh, Kimsey and I this week um, with a gentleman who's... Eric Kimsey, one of our interns. It's right? not yeah. Kimsey in some... Psychologist. That's right. Big. Not yeah, not Kenzie, but Kimsey. That's yes, right. Yes. yes. Let's clarify. Um, but I had this discussion with the day who, who a gentleman who who's moved down from Columbus went to Mount Vernon University and, and uh, God bless his heart. Yeah. Well, and he's coming down and taking over Free Will Baptist Church youth group and wants to God bless his bless change his the world and uh, he's got an uphill battle. But God bless him. Yes. Yeah. Had this conversation. Um, and really, the issue is justice. Yeah, it's the idea that either a you believe everyone deserves to go to heaven, or b you believe that God wants to show justice, and that we all believe that we all have fallen short, right? And we're born into sin, so we all deserve hell. So it's that mindset of which one, which one do you believe determines how you're going to view that question. So if you believe that we all deserve justice, then that's would be why no one. Is going to go to heaven because everyone deserves justice. So the only way for God to show His justice is for there to be a righteousness and b someone who has to pay the penalty. And without justice, without someone going to hell, there is no mercy. And and this may be an oversimplification and just a terrible analogy. And if it is, we'll just edit it out of the podcast. Um, I if, can do that. <laughs> if everybody went to heaven, wouldn't it be like one big arranged marriage? Like, hey. You don't That's actually have to, you don't actually have to love God and obey his commandments. He's going to save you anyway. He's going to love you yeah. in spite of the fact that you didn't and so I, I just feel like you know logic and not that God necessarily adheres to some human logical argument, but to me the idea that God would save everybody right. spits in the face of exactly what Ryan's talking about. It basically, you know, it says, you know, we define marriage as, you know, this idea that Two, that a man and a woman love each other and choose to commit themselves through the actions that they they live out their lives for, together for the rest of their time. Right. God, like, I don't have to like make any decision to love God, or I don't have to take any action to love God, or I don't have to do any, like He's going to save me. Any like, I don't know. It's an oversimplification. I'm really like treading. No, I think I think that's right. I mean, you're, what you're what you're basically saying is that you know, I tell me if I'm wrong. You know, at the end of the day, is it our actions or is it God actions? Sure. You know, is it is it God acting to save us or is it, you know, our own volition? And I don't see that it was looking back on my forty years. Okay, forty years I was raised in the church. My father's a preacher. You know, I was literally born on the front row of a church. 
right? I mean, I, the first week... It's an awkward mental picture. That I yeah, was, yeah. Um, <laughs> come on. Especially since we know your parents. You were kind of okay, born off. Sorry. So, please. so I was... But but within a week, I was in church. So, I, I, yeah, I'm there and all that kind of stuff. And I'm raised in church and all that kind of stuff. And yet, by the time I'm 13, 14, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I say, screw it. And by 15, I'm run, I've run away from home. By 16, I'm running away to L.A., you know, by by about that same time, I'm an agnostic. And directing Latin videos for MTV. Directing Latin videos for MTV. That's right. And and so even when I come back, and I'm working in the Republican Party, which, according to some Christians, is salvation. I'm <laughs> doing that, and I, I'm working on Capitol Hill for two different Republican congressmen. Um, I'm an agnostic. I don't care, right? Mm-hmm. And then a doctor tells me I have cancer, um, and then so I beg God for my life. But then I ended up at a liberal seminary, and it's not until years later that I, I feel completely empty, despite the fact that I've read hundreds of books on Jesus in the first century and everything else that God kind of comes crashing down on my head and, and, and brings me to him that I become a Christian. You know, I, I don't feel like God was unjust or unfair because of that. But I think that a lot of our friends would say that. That anybody who has lived on the planet Earth, it, it, just because they haven't encountered the gospel as we would define it. Well, you know, that shouldn't count against them. So what do you say then? Because we have, we have friends who would say that. So if they're sitting there with us at the Port City pub on Chillicothe Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. <laughs> um, Owned by John and Barbara. You are like the you master of plugs, by the way. Hey, they I'm hooked me up for my wedding it. reception. Eight dollars a head, all you can eat and drink. I, I will like, tell you that that will be the best black and tan pour. If not, I I have proof. I have photo evidence. We have of several photos yes. of the best black and tan pour I've ever seen. Um, that that there are people who say just because they weren't there that you know they shouldn't be cut out. What do you say? Well, here, here's the the conversation that got us going. It kind of prompted this. Uh, right. Where Kimsey and I and his other fellow went to a went to Fred's and demolished twenty six inch pizza. Um, wow, God bless you. Can I get invited to that sometime? <laughs> exactly. At least twice I've Where heard about I? this. Where am I? I'm exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know I should so go married, but started. I can bring out some free time there, buddy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> put a, put a, take a couple credits for the debit you've been yeah. in. So, uh, <laughs> so what, what we're talking about is the idea, which again shapes your view, is. Some dude in Africa never heard the gospel, right? Or heard that age of yep. accountability, right? How does that oh line up? Gosh, and it is the idea of whether you, from birth, deserve heaven, right, or deserve hell, um, and and I think that that's going to shape the way that you pursue pursue the gospel, and in the sense of whether you look at grace as something that I completely don't deserve, and God, why, right? Would you, you know? Why would you offer me or choose 
this for me and I don't deserve it versus God, you know, right. how can I choose slash reject, you know, this thing that you're on? Well, and I guess the, the two questions. One, do you, we accept that Romans 3.23 is accurate? Nice. That all sin and fall short of the glory of God? Yeah. Okay. So if we accept that. Uh, if we, if you can't accept scripture. We, no. We've so, got a minor, we've okay. got a problem to begin I with. Know, that's what, but, but, and that's a good but, place to go, but go ahead. But so if, if we're going to, if, if we're going to let scripture guide the way we shape our worldview. Right. Then we're going to accept that we've all sinned. Right. So that what we all deserve is hell. Fair. Yeah. Fair. And that the yeah. Bible repeatedly acknowledges God's desire to be just. Yes. And to see justice, which you, the, 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 to use the word you use. So if, if justice is to be served, then we all deserve hell. And what we have is that completely runs headfirst into this idea, this entitlement, this sense of entitlement that is only growing, it's only getting worse as, 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 as we get older. I mean, I feel like, and maybe every generation feels this way, but the people who are younger than us have this like greater sense of entitlement than we ever had. Yeah. But as a culture, we feel like we're entitled to certain things. And, and, and maybe that's, maybe that's because we, grew, we we were fortunate to be born in a country where you, we feel you're entitled to freedom. Yep. And these these certain yeah. the certain list of freedoms. And it's the second time we've mentioned entitlement in two hours in, in two different podcasts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and that, that's and, there. And and I think that that so many folks' worldview, if your worldview isn't shaped by the scripture, mm-hmm. your worldview is shaped by the sense of entitlement that everybody's entitled to an opportunity. You know, we live in a land of opportunity yeah. to steal yeah. phrases from politicians, right. where people come from all over the world to have opportunity. To prosper and to grow in whatever way you seem see fit, yeah. and so that that smacks in the face of this idea that we're all sinners, we all deserve hell, and God is just. Right. And so for me, if you're gonna, I mean, this is pretty open and shut. If you're gonna accept the scripture as yeah. truth, and I had a great, I mean, you know, whatever, whatever you think of the whole Chick Fil A fuss yesterday. Wonderful topic. And I had a great conversation great actually. Too. With um, a friend of my sister's, where she actually, you know, sent me a Facebook message. This is rare. Where we totally disagreed, and she said, "Hey, this is my email address. I like to continue this conversation." Mm-hmm. I mean, that rarely ever happens, right? <laughs> and then I want to bomb your house. <laughs> yeah, you bastard. And, and, and so, yeah, I mean, that's how usually how it goes. But she's like. You know, I, she she actually thanked me. She said, thank you for taking my questions seriously. Can we continue this conversation? Here's my email. Off, you know, out of public view. Sure. Here's my email address. Can we continue this conversation? Which I thought was great. You know, I, I, I think that's absolutely fantastic. And she was proceeding from a point of view that here's what I like. Here's what I want. So therefore, that's what God should be. Should should be and shaping should me. your view of God around right. a worldview that you've already constructed outside of the absolutely. scripture. So here's absolutely we had a four week long, very heated small group about whether God is loving or God is just. And there's some who would argue, well, that's one and the same. And I would argue the American view is not true. That God should, in our minds as Americans, for yeah. our view. Be just and not loving because loving God doesn't send two-year-olds or unborn babies to hell. Just God says, hey, you know what? 
you all deserve this. You're not that great. Don't pat yourselves on the back. Right. You know, you you all deserve. You're born into this. But I'm going to save some of you. Um, so that was like a huge, and and it's not the idea. Well, well, love is just. Well, that is true. But if you don't have the, the proper mindset of love, right. then justice takes like a supersedence of love and saying, hey. Justice and love isn't necessarily the same. And I don't know the answer to this, so I may be walking around. Either you spank your kids. Well, yeah. Yeah. Why? Have you met my kids? <laughs> Fair. Um, I was hoping yeah. you would say, because you love them, and, they, yeah. and, and you know that they've done something wrong, and this is how you choose to discipline them. Yes. That you have a sense of justice. Agreed. And that, sure. that, that justice is driven by your love for them. Yes. True. Okay. Agreed. But if you view love as Americans view love, as in whatever I want, if you don't sure. do this for me, you don't love me. That's that's what you know. The sure. whole the whole. It's all about what shapes your worldview. Absolutely. Yeah. If, if your worldview shaped outside of the scriptures, yes. then you're going to have a distorted definition of love and justice. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and the, the, the absolutely, I think you're. So what right. we have, and, and the Chick Fil A thing, what we have is 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 we. On the surface, it, it's being engaged as an argument about free speech and, and, and gay right. rights. But ultimately, from a Christian's perspective, I think we have an obligation to show the homosexual that, hey, we love you. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and I, you know, whether I, like chi- whether I like chicken sandwiches or not, mm-hmm. you know, it, I, I'm not here to, def- to defend my free speech. I'm, the issue is so much bigger than that. It's that I love you as a homosexual. I have a family member who's a homosexual. I have a... Um, I'm named after a family member who's homosexual. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very close to him. I had a roommate in college who's homosexual, mm-hmm. and I have a dear friend who's homosexual. I love them all dearly. Yeah. Um, I, I I despise their sin as much as I despise any of the other sins in the Bible it, that fellow brothers and sisters in Christ exhibit. Right. I exhibit on a daily basis. Sure. I mean, I despise those sins equally. Yeah. And so that doesn't shape the way I interact with them. I respond to them. And ultimately, if I live in a country where 51% of people want gay folks to be allowed to marry each other, then guess what? That's okay. Because I have no control over that, and it doesn't, it doesn't impact my ability to show love to the sinner, regardless of their sin. In this case, homosexual. Well, and I would agree with that, but here's, here's where I would qualify. Um, you know, here's why I lined up yesterday to you know, spend an hour in line. To buy chicken nuggets and two chicken sandwiches from Chick Fil A because they're delicious. Because the waffle fries are freaking great. Yeah, the waffle fries are freaking great. And Dan Kathy's a marketing savant. He's like eight years old, by the way. (laughs) They're yeah, and the and 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 the milkshakes are wonderful too. But anyway, so the reason I you know that's neither here nor there. I, I lined up for that is this. Here's where I struggle. Um, I agree that we need to show love to everyone regardless. Sure. But on the same side, I'm like, okay, the whole, like, you know, gay, straight kind of cultural war basically started in 2003 when Massachusetts, the Massachusetts Supreme Court, declared... You know, gay marriage legal. Please don't remind me that happened under Governor Romney, who I'm going to be forced to vote for in November. And um, no, well, he didn't even like it at the time, but anyway, he you know he just kind of dealt with it. But so, and the problem is this: here's what I here's what I want to ask people like Rachel Held Evans and others who are like, you guys need to support gay marriage because of missional strategies. I'm like, okay, before 2003, show me the church 
that was converting homosexuals left and right. Yeah, you'll um, find that. Without, without, you know, debating this issue. It wasn't there. All right, so oh. the debate now that, okay, what you need to do is avoid this entire debate as a missional strategy is, you know, my argument is, okay, show me where the missional church strategy was that we were winning homosexuals before that. Uh, and, and it no, wasn't there. No, and and I if if my argument if my position was mischaracterized mischaracterized is avoiding the discussion on yeah. on the same. No, I didn't take it as that. Um, I, just, yeah. I just think it's important as Christians that we don't just make it about our position on the sanctity of marriage, but we make it no. about stating our position in a way that we show love. I, I agree with that, but I think that and Bradley Wright wrote a book a few years ago that I think hits on this, where he said that you know. Perception is not reality. Absolutely. If people perceive that your position is one way, and they perceive that because they haven't done their homework or because they're just, you know, believing sound bites, that's their problem. That's not your problem. Absolutely. And you know, I agree with that. The reason I lined up for an hour to buy chicken from Chick Fil A yesterday had absolutely nothing to do with gay marriage. Sure. Or same thing. The reason I lined up was because mayors in DC, Boston, Chicago Judge will regulate commerce based on somebody's opinion. Exactly. Said you can't open restaurants because I disagree with your opinion, which is a gross violation of the First Amendment. Sure. And I, you know, my opinion is look, if the KKK wants to open a dry cleaning business in New Boston, Ohio, I'm not gonna, you know, frequent it. But the, the you know the mayor of New Boston should have absolutely no say on that whatsoever. The the government should have no say. Although they do have a special on uncleaning sheets, just so you know. Is that right? Yeah, okay, well, I'll keep that in mind for, for, for gross business. But I I, I just I was, was so bad. offended by the fact that the government tried to have some kind of opinion on this. Well, and that we're, we're the could, government yeah. should have no opinion on you that could, whatsoever. Did you hear Michael Bloomberg too? Not, did you, and, and Michael Bloomberg is a little hobbit jerk. I'm he sorry, is, but he made a good point. That, did you hear what he said? No. Michael Bloomberg totally threw Rob Emanuel, the mayor of New Boston, under the, mayor of New Boston, mayor of uh. Boston, under the bus, <laughs> yeah. and said, "Listen, you can't regulate commerce based on different opinions with, yeah. with a business owner. And if you do that, that's a gross violation of their First Amendment rights." I agree. I think Michael Bloomberg's ridiculous, out of control, off the charts, yeah. banning, banning. You Pop know, soda, yeah, banning yeah. Yeah, because it's not healthy. Exactly. Okay, Lord. guess what? And salt. He made he made a he made a great constitutional argument. As opposed to scotch. Yeah, that's the first yeah, and last exactly. time you'll hear you'll hear those words out of my mouth. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I just I, I the reason I sat in an hour Chick Fil A was because I wanted Rahm Emanuel to wait to the mayor of Chicago, who threatened to ban future openings of Chick Fil A because he disagreed with their opinion. I wanted him to wake up to the headline that Chick-fil-A had record business and screw you. And that's why I, you know, stood in line for that. Is that for those of you keep your score at home, our pastors gave Rahm Emanuel a middle finger. Yes, exactly. Verbally. Exactly. <laughs> I do not believe the government has any business, you know, deciding what is, you know, the right or wrong opinion. And I don't care. Look, I I, I this is not a cultural war thing. 
I believe that the First Amendment should protect everybody, and I believe that when Christians stand up for the First Amendment, they're protecting Mormons, they're protecting Jews, they're protecting Muslims. They're protecting they're the right protecting people to everybody. say things they don't agree with. Exactly. And if the First Amendment doesn't protect everybody, it doesn't protect anyone. And that's the reason I stood in line at a Chick-fil-A for that chicken sandwich. And, you know, that's the reason I did it. And I just think it's absolutely dangerous the moment, as a constitutional lawyer, the moment that governments start to decide who has a right opinion and a wrong opinion, everything goes off track. Can I? Can I? Can I play devil's advocate? Go for it. Why is why is why is my homosexual friend not a, not entitled to the same rights as as a married man and woman? Why do they not? As as to wait, here's here's what I would say. Uh, Wayne Grudem, who's, who is probably the theologian I, who I respect the most, would say this. Um, he's Any homosexual, he or she, is entitled to the same rights as any other person, and they can marry an opposite sex. That's the right given. There is no such thing as an absolute right. 16-year-olds cannot vote. Former felons cannot vote. They can't. Um, if you want to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's fine. But you can't do it with a bullhorn at 3 a.m. on your neighbor's lawn. Every right is limited, right? Uh, I don't and so that if, if you are a gay man or a gay woman, your right is limited by what is in the best, in the best interests of the state at large. And the simple fact is, um, as, mu as much as people want to attack it, um, for example, Mark Regeneris, who is a professor at the University of Texas, um, released a study which conclusively showed that children are better off, shocker, in a family with a father and a mother. You don't say. Exactly. It said that the, the average child is better off with a father and a mother. And that the average child in a same-sex relationship it actually has more problems than the child in a relationship with a father and a mother. And he was, he was attacked for that. I mean, we, we basically laughed into well, sure, kind of secular McCarthyism. Again, I'm, I'm in the devil's advocate because it. the problems the child has of the, the, whose parents are in the same-sex relationship are only the problems of a narrow-minded culture that refuses to accept the relationship with their parents. Which is ridiculous considering the culture we live in, right? Because the culture we live in, um, you are almost um, bullied to question a same-sex relationship. Well, and, now, let me ask you this. And, uh, go ahead. And you go no, but did he compare the idea of a single-parent relationship versus a same-sex relationship? Yes. Since that's half of the marriages in the United States. Yes. So, And, and that was conclusive. The, the, his study basically stated that the average child is better off with a father and a mother. Well, I, yeah, that's... In a stable relationship. Ideal. And that, and yeah. that the average child is um, hindered by any other relationship. So, would it be safe to say, then, that a single-parent relationship and or a partnered relationship mm -hmm. between a homosexual couple yeah. could produce similar results? Yes. 
I think he would say that. And, and I think he would say that both are, are, are basically not as strong. All he argued. Yeah, I get it. Was that. So could you make the argument, though, mm-hmm. that a single parent relationship and a same sex parent relationship would be one and the same, and the state supports the same? He, would argue, he would argue they were basically similar, but he would argue that actually the studies showed that children in relationships with same sex relationships were still not as well off even with a single sure. parent. Um, and, and he was attacked for that. Sure. And he, he was attacked for that. And he, the Huffington Post actually did the most honest but most ridiculous attack on that. And that it basically come, came in and said that you, Mark Regenerus, had too small a sample. You needed to have more stable homosexual relationships in your sample. In other words, if you had better homosexual relationships which, which counted your argument... We would agree with your argument. Now, can I say this? In my limited experience <laughs> yeah. with family members who are homosexual, that stable homosexual relationships are not necessarily one and the same? Exactly. And that was his argument. And you see that in Wayne Grudem's you know, stuff in, in politics according to the Bible and the studies he quotes. It's the same thing. And it's the exact, thing, it's the exact same thing. So, and here's the problem we have. When we vote, laws, we hear this all the time. You can't legislate morality. That's not true. That's absolutely not true. Within reason, yeah. Yeah, you, you, when you pass a law, a overwhelmingly majority you know, of the populace will obey that law out of fear of not... It's yeah. the de facto moral code. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so that, yeah. that will happen. And so, therefore, when you say that you know, any kind of marriage counts and any kind of parenting counts, you throw that out the window despite the fact that the overwhelming uh, amount of objective evidence is counter to that, which is exactly what God prescribes. You know, look, you know, people get pissed at me when I say this, but the Bible is very clear that homosexuality is a sin, and that when you have one man, one woman who comes together to raise a child, that's what God wants. Now, it's, it's not perfect when you have the one man, one woman, ever. Because they're both sinners. Well, it's Mark, Driscoll, true. I, Mark Driscoll says a lot of things. Yeah. But Mark Driscoll makes it, he absolutely simplifies the marriage relationship. Sin plus sin does not equal less sin. Right. And absolutely. May, so. Uh, a- absolutely. But... You know, as a society, if you have, you cannot just pat on the head, sin plus sin, right? Right, absolutely. And, and, and that's where it all comes in. And I guess my frustration with the position, and, I, and I've, I, I've tried very hard here to play devil's advocate. I mean, I think it's very clear to those listening that we all share very similar viewpoints on this issue. Right. And, and it's that... You know, biblically, we're commanded to live in a certain way, right. and that homosexuality is just one of a any number of sins, Absolutely. as described in the Bible. Absolutely, um, and that we treat it just as we would any other sin within sure. the body. Okay. Right. Um, my struggle isn't with you know. Obviously, we've identified our position. It's that that position is you would be led to believe by the media and the coverage of this issue with Chick Fil A that. That's a narrow-minded, I think is a term they would right. use. Narrow-minded opinion. Here's why I say 
if the populace votes and 51% or more want to maintain marriage as it's currently defined between a man and woman, right. that's not narrow-minded. As defined by the culture or by God? Well, both. Because ultimately, the majority of folks would, if if the majority by the culture, not God. Well, God God define. I mean, God's definition is clear. Yeah, and, and, and I guess that's my, my point. Yeah, and I, but I guess my frustration. And God and God is not just defining a relationship based on rules. God is defa- defining a relationship based on wisdom. Yes, sure, not. and yeah, absolutely. But as Christians, we have a responsibility to be faithful to the Scripture. We talked about right. this in the previous podcast, this podcast, right. and we do that in a way we speak that truth in love. Again, that's right. absolutely okay. absolutely, but. My frustration is, as a country, if the majority of folks want to maintain the current definition of marriage, why can't we get past the fact that that's a narrow-minded position in the eyes of the media? I would argue, actually, that the narrow-minded position in in, in the eyes of the media is very um, culturally dictated now Mm -hmm. and not culturally dictated... um, in, in a very kind of long-range position. Okay. I mean, anybody, I don't care if you're Anderson Cooper or whoever you are, if you're going to stand up and say that marriage is between two consenting adults, you are redefining marriage as it has been defined for thousands of Absolutely. years. Absolutely. Okay. So you need to admit that. Mm-hmm. Today, I found an article um, from a gay rights advocate who was speaking in Sydney, Australia, and she had the courage to state something that my um, CEO and president at Alliance Defending Freedom has said for 10 years, which is, you know, she came out and said that we don't care about marriage. Great, I'm going to put this on my blog tomorrow. We don't care about marriage. We care about undermining marriage. Marriage as one man and one woman has to go. We are concerned with defining marriage as however the individual defines marriage. Whether that's five parents and you know five fathers and five mothers, whatever. Let's be honest. This person is being honest. Um, and I think that's right. And you know that's absolutely contrary to what God has prescribed. Mm-hmm. And the question is, does God know best or not? Well, I think if, you, if your worldview is shaped by the scripture, then you say, no, yeah, absolutely, he knows best. But, and can you not make the argument that pop culture as a whole undermines marriage? And the idea oh, sure. You would have two, you know, two parents, four parents, six yeah. parents, depending on. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, it's and one of the same. Absolutely, and I would argue that that's a perversion, and that that's not sure. So that's as not what is best for children. Which is no, ultimately yeah. what marriage is defined for is for the children, and and is ultimately not wise either. Now here's here's where I want to push back. Um, as somebody who has loved people who have been in homosexual relationships since I, since I was an agnostic working in Hollywood, right? Since I was a redneck in 1989. And rednecks per- don't love homosexuals. You well, can't I carry was the term. I was. I didn't redneck. care. I was a redneck who didn't care. Okay. Well, okay. maybe. I was a and, and 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 my first boss told me, you know, joked about in a gay joke, and I spit coffee across the table because I wasn't used to it because I was 17 years old and I was from Williamsburg, Ohio. 
Um, you know, back then I didn't care, right? I, I didn't give a crap. I mean, it's like as long as you didn't do it, try to do it to me. I don't care what you. <laughs> yeah. Man, that was that was my position. Um, and then when I became a Christian, it was like, well, God actually does care about this stuff, and 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 for good reason. And so that has to come in to play. Um, and there's a reason why, by the way, David Dunham hasn't said a word in an hour. <laughs> He's essentially asleep on 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 on, on uh, Ryan Rolfe's uh, couch, by the way. Studio. Couch. And um, yeah, and so um, here's here's what I believe. Here's the problem, and here's actually where libertarians converted me. Uh, a few years ago, I read a book by Ann Rand uh, called Atlas Shrugged. And it's a terrible novel from the point that it's, it's horribly written. The last hundred pages are preachy, and I don't recommend them. But she's right on this. She's absolutely right on this. Never look at a, at, at a person as a group, but as an individual. Yep. Historically, if you look at, as a, at a person as a member of a group, it is very easy to write them off and yeah. send them to the gulag or to, you know, uh, to the showers like the Nazis did. You know, the moment the Nazis bought into were victims of the Jews, the Jews became a group, and every person became a member of that group, and it was okay to ship them off. They lost identity. Exactly. The moment they they ceased to be day from next door and became uh, the Jews, it became easy to ship them off. The moment a person becomes a homosexual instead of Amy, who lives next door, things become dangerous. You never, ever, ever, ever should think as a person, as a member of a group. They are always an individual. And the moment you think of them as an individual, they become, um, the moment you start to look at them as an individual, they become much easier to love and protect. And wouldn't that be biblical? I mean, to love your neighbor as yourself? Absolutely. I mean, nobody wants to be you know, we're, we're called to love them as a person, as right. an individual. Um, so I guess for me, I mean, we've clearly all taken the same perspective and our worldview is shaped by the scripture. Real quickly as we wrap up here, you know, what should our response as believers be to not only, I mean, I, I think we've dealt with the individual yeah. and how we should, but what should our response be to this culture and, and this movement in the culture um, and how do we do that in a way that, you know, conveys love and not what the culture misconstrues? Yeah. Hey, or can we do that? And I think all of us here, I mean, um, the three of us here, cognizant in this podcast, um, who are, you know, we all have friends and family who are homosexual. Absolutely. Yeah. All of us. For, right? For real. Yeah. The cousin who helped raise me is a lesbian. Right. Okay. I, I love her. Absolutely. And we all have that situation. And here's my perspective. When she and I have discussed this, it's this. Um, I love you. I will be there for you. I will pray for you. You are welcome in my home 24-7. Sure, yeah. I will, you know, at any time. I have neighbors who are homosexual who, you know, just I, I am friends with. When I go outside on Sunday morning to play wiffle ball with my son, 
they stand outside and root for my son <laughs> to beat me, you know, in wiffle ball. They are good friends, and they know they are welcome anytime in my home. I love them as people, right? Sure. But if they come to me and say, hey, we want to get married, what do you think? I'm going to say, that's not marriage. But how do we defend the sanctity of marriage yeah. without making them a group? The, by loving them as individuals. Okay. Is, that, is the simple fact that you cannot approach people as individuals. I think the, the moment you, you approach people as individuals, and I don't care if it's homosexual or as conservative as whatever, the moment you approach people as individuals, you have lost sight of them. Right? You moment you approach them as part of a group. Right. Okay. And you, you have lost sight of them as a person, as an image and likeness of God. And I, I think that, you know, one of the books I've read in the last month, if I can recommend a book, and it's, it's 80 pages long. You can read it in 20 minutes. It's a great book. I can't called, read 80 pages of anything in 20 minutes. Yes, you can read it. It's called it's Batman called, Year One. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, it's called How Do You Kill 11 Million People by Andy Andrews. And he looks at Nazi Germany and he says, how is it that Nazi Germany was the most cultured, educated, called, you know, nation? Sure. In the history of the world, and they allowed 20% of the people to elect the Nazis to, to head their nation. And there is this haunting, haunting part of the book where he is quoting a church to where this church on Sunday morning, when they are hauling the Jews off to be eliminated, to be, you know, destroyed, to be, to, to go to genocide at Auschwitz, the church, as they heard these people come by the train, began singing hymns louder to, to, to crowd out the cries of the Jews. He says, how is that possible? He said, because they bought into the lie that we are groups and not individuals. And, and this, and, and just, and, I th and we're wrapping up here, but yeah, this, um, this pertains to any sin. Yeah, and, absolutely. I mean, and and, and I, I mean, the focus is this, because culturally we're, we're in this battle right now, but I think there's value to, to apply this to you know, the drunkard or the adulterer or the sexually immoral absolutely. or the liar. And so, I mean, and I think we'll probably leave this here and um, just thank everybody for listening to our, to another installment of Revolution Ramblings or whatever this is called. Right. Um, but if you're a Cardinals fan or a supporter of gay marriage, I hope you're not too terribly yeah. offended. <laughs> Um, and yeah, we're, 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 we're going to draw the line at a Cardinals fan, <laughs> by the way, Justin. <laughs> oh, is that St. Louis? Tony, Tony LaRusse is East St. Louis, let's, 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 let's be honest with that. Last okay. week, and on my way into our job site, I heard of a uh, road rage incident and a carjacking, and I decided that is exactly why Cincinnati is better than exactly. St. Louis Cardinals. Tony LaRusse is the devil. So, I mean, BP should have totally been in the All Star game. <laughs> oh, and Johnny Quinn. Exactly. Oh, We've done exactly. Tony LaRusso. Uh, okay, well, but we're he's signing off. Smarter than any other manager on the face of the earth. <laughs> Who lost to the Reds in 1990. Uh, so, yeah. I, I, I would just say this we need to treat people as individuals, not as groups. I think it's great. I think that's, I think that's a great place to leave this and this issue and in many other issues. So, yeah. Thanks, Matt. All right, so, again, this is Matt. This is Ryan. And this is Justin. And this is Dave, um, basically asleep on the couch. Uh, thank you for stopping by. God bless you and happy internetting. Woo!